you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8 this morning. Got a new microphone. Don't give up. Those are three simple words that we need to hear from time to time, don't we? Don't give up. You know, when the, t- when the going gets tough, the tough get going, but sometimes the going gets too tough for the tough, and it makes all the difference in our lives to have somebody next to us to say, don't give up. You know, we have heard that our life is like a marathon more than it is like a sprint, right? But have you ever heard what a marathon is like? Well, there was a pastor, uh, his name was Brian Wilkerson, and he wrote about his experience running the New York City Marathon. This is what he wrote. The first half of the race is a party. He says, you're swept along by 28,000 runners, crowds lining the streets, people running in costumes. You're touring the, the ethnic cities of Queens and Brooklyn. You feel like you could run forever. At mile 13, you cross over into Manhattan and you start heading north, away from the finish line. Central Park is now behind you and you're really going in the wrong direction. The crowds begin to thin out. The party is over. About mile 16 or 18, you hit what they call the wall. You're absolutely miserable. Physically and psychologically, you're done. All you want to do is stop running. He says, I remember passing by one of those first aid stations where the runners are lying on cots and, you know, they're pale and gaunt. IVs dripping into their arms, and I thought to myself, those lucky dogs. And at that point, I began to despair. I imagined myself having to go home and tell everybody that I did not finish the race. Why did I ever sign up for this thing? What in the world made me think I could do this? And that's when it hit me. One way or another, I had to get back to Central Park where the finish line was because that's where my ride was. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any money. All I had was my two feet. So I might as well keep running. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't think about the next six miles in front of you. Just one foot in front of the other. The next step. And if you can keep doing that, one foot in front of the other, the miles pass. And when you cross the finish line, it feels like glory even if you are in 10,044th place. Well, some of you here today may be hitting the wall. 
in your life. You feel like you just can't go on. Like you're never going to make it to whatever it is you're trying to get to. You're never going to see the finish line. Whatever that is, your head, you're in the, you got a headwind, you're going uphill, there's a storm. Something is going on. Following Christ has never been harder in your life, and you're thinking about giving up, doing something foolish. Well, I'm here today to pass on to you words from Jesus. Don't give up. Don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. We're going to sit at his feet here for the next few minutes and take a drink from the water of life and breathe in some fresh air from the Holy Spirit and renew our insides for just the next step of this race. The story we're going to read here is all about not giving up and about continuing to pray with persistence. That's what Luke tells us in verse 1. Jesus told this story for a specific purpose that we would always pray and not give up. So let's read what he has to say. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to sit at Jesus' feet and to hear his words and to allow the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts, to till the soil plant the seed, and to bear the fruit that we need. You are so amazing. You know just what each person needs today, Lord. So I pray that your words would be received, that they would be believed, and that they would be acted upon. I pray my words would be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So verse 1. Always pray. Never give up. In verses 2 to 5 is the parable proper. And it tells us this. Persistence is effective. So we are in a certain city for this parable. Could be this city. And Jesus introduces to us the first character, a judge who neither fears God nor respects man. Man, I mean, you know. You don't want that on your tombstone, right? <laughs> He's a jerk. This guy is. In verse 3, you get the second character in the story, a widow. Something has happened in her life that is unjust. 
So her husband has died, and she is the one who is coming to the judge to get a ruling. Now, a widow in their society would be a very vulnerable person. If she didn't have a family to take her in, she would be on her own trying to survive. It's possible that this widow was a single mom trying to make it. It's probable that she was poor and this didn't have any way to provide for herself. So somebody has taken something from her. Uh, Somebody has treated her improperly, maybe taken advantage of her in some way. Maybe her husband was killed. Uh, Maybe she had an animal and someone stole it. Maybe she had an agreement with someone at the market to sell clothes and they wouldn't pay up. Okay, we, we don't know what it is, but we know that she wants justice. And she's got no voice. She has no voice that carries any weight in their society. And no, no rights as a woman. No representation. And she's got a jerk for a judge. So he doesn't care anything about doing the right thing. He doesn't care anything about what God thinks. He doesn't care anything about what man thinks and what man's going through. He just cares about himself. So all the widow has is her persistence. Her stubborn desire to get what she is owed. Even though everything is against her. She keeps coming back to the judge's courtroom representing herself, saying the same thing. I need Justice. And the judge gives in. But not because it's the right thing to do and not because he has compassion on the woman and not because it's what God would want him to do. He gives her justice because he doesn't want to be irritated anymore. He doesn't want her to wear, he doesn't want her to wear him out by her persistence. So persistence is effective. You know, that pastor in the New York City Marathon, he said this about running. He said, there's no magic to endurance running. It's all about continuing. It's about going on. And sure, there's training involved to strengthen your body to to continue, but to get to the finish line, to see what you want to see happen, you just have to keep going. Now, in standardized math tests, Japanese children tend to do better score higher consistently than American children. And some attribute that to their natural ability or their natural bent toward mathematics, but uh, the primary difference researchers have discovered has more to do with their effort. So they did this study with first graders, and they gave them this really difficult problem to solve. And they didn't so much care if the first graders solved the problem or not, but they wanted to know how long they would try to solve the problem. And so American children, they worked on the problem an average of 9.47 minutes. And Japanese children worked on the problem an average of 13.93 minutes. So in other words, Japanese children tried 47% harder to, to figure it out than American children did. So researchers concluded that the difference in math scores didn't have so much to do with IQ as it had to do with PQ. The persistence quotient, which I think I just made up. The Japanese first graders simply tried harder. And that study not only explains the difference in math scores, it's true across the board, whether it's athletics 
or academics, music, or math. There are no shortcuts. There are no substitutes. Success is a derivative of persistence. How long you try and how hard you try. Persistence is effective. Now, when it comes to our prayer lives, I think maybe most of us would would think that we don't do it very good or, or we could do better. Uh, so often it feels like, you know, in my own prayer life that my prayers get repetitive. I'm, I'm saying the same things in the same way, and it doesn't seem to be effective. And so I end up giving up on, on the prayer. And then I hear somebody who prays for what I'm praying for the way it ought to be prayed for, and I, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's it. But this story ought to teach us something. The widow is a nobody to this judge. Nobody. And the judge is a jerk. She has no rights, no representation. She just has persistence, and that's what proves to give her justice. What would happen if, if we would just forget about having the right words to pray, having the right requests to pray, having the, enough faith to pray? What if we would just forget about all of that stuff, and we would just make the goal of our prayer lives persistence, that we would just keep praying, no matter what? We just cried out to God day and night, over and over. What if persistence was the goal of our prayer lives? What if we implemented the push strategy when it came to our, our prayer lives? Pray until something happens. You know what would happen? Something. God would do something. Wouldn't you like that to happen in your life? I mean, when God does something, it's going to be good. It's going to be good for us, and it's going to be good for others. So do you want God to do something in your life? Push for it. Don't give up. Persistence is effective. Now, one mistake that we often make when we're reading this parable is that we substitute God in for this unjust judge. You know, we think the widow needed to be persistent because she's got a jerk of a judge, and so we need to be persistent with God because he's like that too. Maybe he's not that bad, but, you know, he's holding out on us to discipline us, or he's not giving us the answers we want because, you know, we, we, we don't deserve it. We've messed up. He's wanting to punish us or whatever. But what Jesus says next tells us that, that is, there's nothing further uh, that could be further from the truth than that. This parable is not about comparing God to this judge. It's about contrasting God to this judge. The judge is the exact opposite of our God. And so what Jesus is getting at here, or what we can glean from it, is that persistence is not only effective, it, it also needs encouragement. So we get that encouragement from contrasting God to the judge. So Jesus said, Hear what, hear what the unrighteous judge says. So he's saying, did you hear that? He's like, that guy gave the widow what she wants. That guy who neither feared God nor respected man. And if that guy will give her what she wants, how much more will God answer prayers for his children? And will he do it? And how much, you know, how long, how quickly will he do it? He says he'll do it speedily, without delay. So some truths here to glean from this contrast that Jesus 
is making that will encourage our persistence in prayer. And the first thing is that God's character is different than our character. God's character is different than our character. If we're thinking that God is stingy, if he's a stubborn father, he's looking to punish us, he's looking to discipline us as his children, we've got him all wrong. We're bringing him down to, you know, to, our, to our level, and we're thinking of him like we think about each other. But the Bible tells us who God is and what God is like. And there's one, one example, Psalm 100, verse 5, for the Lord is good. You know how many people don't believe that? Most people, they think that God is the exact opposite of good. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. That's who our God is. Psalm 100 verse 5. The Bible also says that God is love. That God is merciful. That God is great and awesome. That he is kind and compassionate. That he is strong and mighty. He is, a right, he is righteous and he is just. That's who our God is. And he is the perfect expression of all of those things. So the goodest good that you can think of, God's better than that. And he is the one we're coming to with our prayers. And that ought to encourage our persistence. Here's another one. God's children are different than other people. We're not just anybody coming to God. We're His children who have been grafted into his family by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I mean, we were given a place in his family by adoption that cost him a whole lot. We've got some status that other people don't have. Jesus called us God's elect. We are invited into his presence to tell him about our needs and our hurts and our our wants and our desires. It's a special thing that we get to do when we go to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, some, some of the versions say, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened, and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. It's describing our relationship. We have a di- different status with God than just anybody. We are his children. It should encourage our persistence because of our faith in Jesus. God's timing is different than our timing. And I don't think that's going to surprise anybody. It should be kind of a common thing, you know, when we think about God. He's got the big picture. You know, he's got that. He's outside of space and time. He understands how an answered prayer over here is going to ripple and affect people over here. I mean, just when you think about how complex and dynamic that all gets, it's amazing. 
So we come to this good and loving and merciful God in a father-child relationship, and we present our requests before him to move in our lives and in the lives of people we love, but then we also trust him that he'll do it when the time is right, in his timing. And, you know, we live in such an instant access society, don't we? I mean, we're used to getting things quick. We don't do very good with patience. But God does. He's very good at patience. And when Jesus said he will act quickly, he's not talking about our timetable. He's talking about God's timetable. And so that should encourage our persistence, not discourage it. In Daniel chapter 9, we get this, we get this window into Daniel's prayer life and in his, in his prayer life with, with God. Yeah, so, so remember, uh, in Daniel 9, um, the Israelites were in exile. They were away from Jerusalem. They were in Babylon, had been there quite some time. Because they had not followed God's ways, his laws, that they had agreed to in that Mosaic covenant, And so God had executed the curses of that covenant because they hadn't followed. And so one of those was they lost their home. And so that's why they're in Babylon. And Jerusalem was their home. And it was a city that lied in ruin. And Daniel had read in the prophet Jeremiah that the judgment that God decreed for the city had a time limit. And it was 70 years And in Daniel 9, that 70 years is is getting to to the point where it's almost over. And so Daniel is in his prayer closet, and he is praying for God to move, to forgive his people, to restore Jerusalem, to get them back to being a nation under God. And so I'm going to jump into that prayer there in Daniel 9, 19. It's kind of at the end of it. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. That would be a nice prayer time, wouldn't it? He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Isn't that beautiful? There's encouragement there for our persistence. As soon as Daniel's prayers went up, a word went out in the spiritual realms to get to work on answering it. So even if it seems like God isn't hearing in your life as you're praying, even if it seems like God isn't doing anything, when our prayers go up, when word goes up, a word goes out to get to work. Now that 70 years there that he read about in Jeremiah, it's got a greater fulfillment, you know, for for the kingdom of God to be, to come and Jesus to to return and establish it. God's, and of course we think about that, God, you know, uh, how long, how long, O oh Lord, how long is it going to be before we see your face? You know, the last prayer in the Bible is Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. So that's a prayer we pray. It says, should we on our lips and we're waiting? But it's telling us God's timing is not our timing. But when our word goes up, 
word goes out to get the work. That ought to encourage encourage our persistence. Lastly, God's answers are different than ours. So even when we get an answer, even when we get a yes, it can come in a different way than we were praying for. And it, even in a way that we were that we were thinking about. You know, from from the time that we moved in here in 2008, which was an answer to prayer, we started praying that God would give us this place. Like, all of it. All 33 acres. And then when we invested a little, almost 200,000 in an addition in a classroom, we prayed a little harder about that. And in 2014... I was on the last day of a fast. And God showed me in a dream that the building was going to be ours. And so I woke up and I was so excited. And I came up here and I walked a circle around all 33 acres claiming every bug and bird and grass blade for God's kingdom. Come on, God. Do it. Move. Well, Meyer called in 2015 and told us they wanted to build their store. But they also wanted a way to figure out a way for us to stay. And so, you know, I had never thought in all those, t- all those years of praying that we could coexist on this property. But, you know, it's working out pretty good. God's answers can come differently than the way we were praying. Then, you know, the answers we can, can think up, they're, they're just not as good as what he can answer with. And I'm so glad he answered the way that he did because it caused us to be involved in his giving this to us. And we had to exercise some daring faith to buy the property and to pay, to pay it off and write his name on the deed. And now we're a church body with a stronger faith for the greater things that he has ahead for us. It's good. God's character is different. God's children are different. God's timing is different. God's answers are different. So take encouragement from Jesus' parable to persist, keep on praying, keep on going. Don't give up. Now in the last half of verse 8, Jesus tells us something about his return, which from that we can glean that persistence takes effort. So he says, nevertheless... Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So will there be faithful children of God praying, calling out to him night and day for him to come? Come, Lord Jesus. And you think, well, that's kind of a strange thing to say at the end of this. But this parable is, is just, it's not a standalone thing. We've got to back up just a tad to see what's going on around it. And if you go to the end of Luke chapter 17... The Pharisees ask him a question. When is the kingdom of God going to come? And he tells them, you know, it's not going to come, you know, in a way that you can see. It, it, it's not going to come like the way you're thinking. In fact, it's, it's here right now. He was referring to himself, and they just couldn't see it. But then he turns to his disciples, and he, he starts talking to them about how suddenly... his return is going to seem to people, to so many people. And he references people in the days of Noah. And he references people in the days of Lot. They were doing life as usual, and life as usual was about to end. 
So that's how he described his coming. And then he tells him, right after that, he tells him this parable about persisting in prayer. And he says at the end of it, hey, look, even though God is good, even though we have this great God, he's merciful and loving, and he will answer our prayers quickly, nevertheless, is there going to be people praying for me to come back when I come? And then you get the book of Revelation that tells us, you know, what life's going to be like for believers before he comes, for those waiting on him to come, for those praying, come, Lord Jesus. It's not going to be an easy life. It's it's a difficult picture. So even with this great God that we have who works on our behalf, persistence in prayer is going to take some effort. You don't need persistence when life is easy. You don't need it in prayer when you're, you know, not looking for God to do anything. You're not looking for Him to move or to, or, to, or to show up. You need it when life gets hard, when you hit the wall, when praying is hard, when hope and faith seem small in your life. That's when you need persistence. Jesus described God's elect as crying out to Him night and day. You don't do that when it's easy. You don't do that during the party, you know, party part of the race. You're not crying out to him night and day. You do it when you hit that wall and all hope seems lost and finishing the race seems impossible. Even maybe the next step seems impossible. You cry out to him night and day when you can't fix it, when you can't control it, when you can't make it happen. That's when you need strong, a strong PQ, that persistent quotient. And when you have that, good things happen in us and in others. The the Christian reformer George Mueller, he lived during the Victorian era and uh, has an amazing story, amazing ministry to read about. And he chronicled a lot of his prayer life in in prayer journals. And, you know, of of all of the Christians that I've, I've read about, in history, he may have the strongest PQ. This is what he wrote in November 1844. He says, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether I was sick or in health or on land or on sea. And whatever the pressure of my engagements might be that day, I prayed. Eighteen months went by, and the first was converted, the first of five. And I thanked God and prayed, for the, prayed on for the others. Five years then elapsed, and the second was converted. And I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. Then, in his journal, 36 years later, he wrote, that the other two, the sons of one of Mueller's friends, were still not converted. And he said, but I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray, these two men were finally converted after he had died. Mueller understood what Jesus meant when he told his disciples that they should always pray and not give up. So that's a strong PQ. (laughs) That is some amazing persistence. How strong is yours today? What's your PQ quotient in your life? How much 
effort are you putting in to prayer? You know, most people think that, you know, God's got some questions to answer. You know, like, when are you coming back? And why is this world so filled with so much suffering when you're a good God? You know, questions like that, et cetera, et cetera. But really, we're the ones that should be answering questions. Questions like Jesus raises there at the end. When he returns, will he find me persistent in prayer? Praying, come, Lord Jesus. You know, really, for most of us, I kind of think we just need to put more effort into it. You know, more effort into our prayers. And I'm not talking about trying to get the words right. And I'm not talking about trying to get the request right or trying to muster up up the faith. Not that kind of effort. Just putting into effort into praying day and night for things that we are wanting God to do. It's supposed to take effort. And if we're honest, I think we could increase our, our PQ and get a little more effective in prayer. We got such encouragement here. Such encouragement. So what's stopping us from being faithful? Let's have our worship team come back up. You know, there might be something that is stopping us from being faithful. And that is like you're you're one of those runners in the marathon who is laid out on a cot at the first aid station. You know, you're getting your... Your IV fluids and your oxygen, you're worn out, you're wounded from running this race. And your PQ is zero. And you, and you just don't have, have it in you to take another step. Strength is zapped. And if that's you today, then I want to encourage you to stay on the cot to rest and recover. You know, God knows your frame. He remembers that you are made from dust. And he provides grace when you're on spiritual life support. What's spiritual life support? His name is the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 26, it says, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, when we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So when you can't think of what to pray or you can't muster what to pray because you're laid out on the cot, Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He groans for us in words, in in ways words can't express. That's God's grace to us. You know what what else he does? He bears the fruit of faithfulness. That's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, buried there in the list of nine in Galatians chapter 5. Faithfulness. I'm so glad it is. I'm so glad that it doesn't depend on my effort to get home, on my strength, on my exercise, on my faithfulness. The Holy Spirit bears the fruit of faithfulness in us and helps us take 
the next step. So when our weaknesses keep us from from praying, when our sins hijack our desires to be in God's presence, you know, when the road is rough, when it's uphill, when we've got a headwind, He is there to strengthen us and help us keep going. Let's stand. What are we supposed to do today? Always pray and never give up. Don't give up.